This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. message quite a few years ago uh, that in, that was similar uh, to this one in title, and it was called The Voice of the Lion. And I really like creative titles, so you would think that I could come up with something better than The Roar of the Lion. But I tell you what, I had all sorts of titles that I worked through this week, and it was like, that's still the best one. And uh, so even though it's similar in title, it is a different message, just so you know, because I saw Brent's bubble thought above his head. Uh, is like, is he just repackaging a, a message? But... Uh, this is, interestingly enough, very uh, personal uh, for me as far as the, the idea in it, which I've been chewing on for multiple weeks, and I've been very excited about, but I've been trying to figure out, God, what do I do with it? Because you could have an extremely fascinating thought, but it has no application to your life. It's just intriguing. And this started out as intriguing, and it has moved to practical, but I'm trying to figure out how to make it practical for all of us. Does it, will it affect other people the way it's affected me? But this is, it's significant for me. And so I'm just asking God that he make it significant for us. Uh, And so the roar of the lion, there's something about just a lion that is very fascinating, I think, to us as human beings. Uh, It's the king of beasts. It's a very strong uh, creature. And uh, just its, even its countenance is fascinating uh, to, to stare at. Uh, but I have a subtitle to this, Tuning into the Frequency of God's Voice. It's, it's interesting, God could be speaking, but we could be at a, on a different station. You ever had that? And so people say, well, God hasn't been speaking to me. And oftentimes it's because we're not tuned in. And what I'm going to bring up today is that oftentimes we don't even really want to be tuned in to the God station. Uh, to be honest, even as Christians, like, oh, I wish God would speak to me. Are you sure about that? Do you really want God to speak to you? Uh, and because when God speaks, there is something that comes with it. He is going to bring us not into just a greater ease. He's oftentimes bringing us into a greater challenge in our life because our purpose here isn't to just pass through and make it to the other side unscathed. In a strange way, we're called to be scathed. And that's a thought that most of us, especially in the American variety of Christianity, struggle with. And as a result, do we really want to hear God's voice? Do we really want to hear him tell us to stand up and speak right now? No, you know, I don't know that I want to hear that. And so we turn, you know, we sort of just get a little off on the tuning, just a little. So we hear the in the background, but we can't quite make it out. We're like, God, I wish I could hear you more clearly. (laughs) Hosea 11.10, they shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, then his sons shall come trembling from the west. There's more on this in scripture than probably any of us would guess. The booming, thunderous, roaring voice of God. If I were to ask you, what does the voice of God sound like? Many of us have a notion that it's still and that it's small. I, I'll cover that as we go through this because, you know, that's in the Bible. 
It is. I'm not making it up. And so some of you are like, hey, hey, don't mess with my still small voice. I'm not going to mess with it. It is true. And yet there is great description of the voice of God in Scripture that is in a different direction than that. And so uh, that prepare for this message. Dallas Taylor, so I think it was uh, Josh Kennebrew that uh, said, have you heard the, uh, the podcast 20,000 Hertz, which I don't want to recommend every one of their podcasts. Uh, that I'm going to be very careful, but it's about audio sound, and it's very intriguing. It goes through sound, and so there's this one called The Bouge, and uh, it's talking about uh, movie trailers, and the movement of movie trailers towards this deep, uh, low... Uh, frequency sound. And so it's like, it's it's a pretty accurate statement of what it is. And it's weird, but it shakes the inside of a human to the point where it brings a certain degree of fear. And uh, as a result, it's very effective in trailers because it sort of moves you to the edge of your seat like, whoa, this is going to be intense. And it it does. If, If you hear a sample of it, you're like, wow, that's very, very effective. And so it's interesting, because this is just a quote from him. He says, our brain is designed to have a survival response to strong low frequencies. Low frequency sounds trigger fear responses, like rumbling thunder or a roar of a lion. So it's just interesting to recognize, well, God designed us. And when you hear the description of his voice, you're going to notice thunder. You're going to notice the sounds of many waters. You're going to notice a roar of a lion. Every single one of them is in that low frequency zone which shakes the human body and actually causes a trembling. Just to note, okay, that's why I'm saying, do we really want to tune into this frequency? So there's two lions and two roars in the Bible. And I I have to get this out on the table because when you say roaring lion, that immediately triggers the wrong direction, right? And that's because in 1 Peter 5.8, Satan is going to be likened to a roaring lion who is seeking whom he may devour. Okay, by the way, so just to clear the air on this, that's not who I'm talking about today. Okay, I'm talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is also a lion. The other one is a, what I could call the toothless lion. He has a big roar, but no power and authority over us. The lion of the tribe of Judah is the one who desires all men to be saved. So Revelation 5.5 is going to mention the lion of the tribe of Judah. So I, I circled it for us or whatever, boxed it for us, just so you know which one we are going after in this message. The trembling church. I, am, I, I was fascinated because many of us know the, the statements uh, of, of God saying you know, that he looks upon those that tremble at his word. But, so I was just looking a little deeper into that about trembling, and it's, it's actually quite a, a theme so Isaiah 66, 2, and then verse 5, on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So I'm going to create a link for you. The word of God is like the voice of God. It is God's communication with us. And so imagine that it comes forth sort of like thunder or sort of like a roaring lion. Then what you have is a tremble that comes with it because you're turned, tuned into the frequency, you're getting it full force. You're not trying to get it just sort of off that frequency just a little to, so it's, you know, it doesn't have the full uh, effect on you. You're willing to hear it, and what happens is a trembling. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. 
Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. Psalm 114.7, tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Our initial instinct is to say that this sounds like a bad thing, to tremble. And yet, in a strange way, just like fear, fear is in a category of like bad, except for the fear of the Lord. Trembling, I would say for the most part, is probably bad, except for when it's trembling at his word. And so as a result, you have this different sort of trembling. It's like the way we were designed. We were designed to fear, yes, but not the things of this earth, not the devil and his antics. We were built to fear God. And we were also built to tremble, strangely enough, but not at the things of this earth and the machinations of the evil uh, around us, but before God in his very presence. Jeremiah 5.22, do, do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? Hmm, wow. Ezra 9.4, so now we have the rebuilding of the temple of God, which is sort of a good description of what we need today, isn't it? The rebuilding of the temple. Something's broken down. We need something rebuilt, and here's the call. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me. Isn't that interesting? It's like, that's what we want to gather together today. That remnant that trembles before the word of God. So there's been a complaint about me. It's, it's sort of lessened over the years. Sandy got a good dose of it when we first started out Ellerslie. And that was that I speak too loudly. It, this was, if you, were, if you ever thought it, you weren't the only one that thought it, okay? That was like a common theme that we ran into. We don't get that anymore. I think maybe I'm mellowed. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sort of concerned about that. I do hear like an old audio or something, and I, I'm taken back sometimes. It's like, whoa, that war cry one, uh, it starts out. Whoever edited that started out with, where's our war cry? You know, it just like comes on. And I'm like, whoa, shut this guy up. It's a little extreme. And so it's funny because uh, Leslie would always defend it. And she, you know, when a lady would come up to her, you know, your husband speaks a little loudly. And she would say, I know, I ask him to. Uh, and that would shut them up. But she was, uh, she, she was going through the audio Bible, you know, throughout her day. And she started to tune into this one theme, which was the voice of God. And she goes, you need to actually just create a message, which is what that old message is, the voice of the lion, on the voice of God and, and how loud it is. And so to quiet this, this complaint about you preaching the word with some volume. And so uh, that's, that's not really what this message is. I'm not trying to defend loud voices in this. And I'm not necessarily attracted to loud voices for loud, you know, as if they're a better form of speaking. I think there's a time for a soft voice, there's a time for a booming voice, and it's knowing when to wield either. Uh, however, it's important to note that God is not ashamed to be loud. The description of God's voice. So here's just a, a few of the, uh, the ideas of how God's voice is going to be described in the upcoming scriptures that I'm going to read. Like the sound of rumbling thunder, crashing waters, oh, and a roaring lion. So Job 37, 2 through 5, and then uh, chapter 40, verse 9. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth unto the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. 
He thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them with his, when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? What a statement. By the way, which microphone am I using? I just realized I'm holding this thing. I'm using this? Well, I'm going to set this crazy thing down. Boy, you get one of those things in my hand, and I go back in time, and I just have to use it. 2 Samuel twenty two fourteen. the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. Ezekiel 1, 24, and then chapter 10, verse 5, I heard the noise of their wings, which is speaking of the cherubim, like the noise of many waters. And then it likens that noise of many waters, sort of like Niagara Falls, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard, even in the outer court, like the voice of Almighty God when he speaks. And so if you're going to try and describe the voice of God, you have to recognize there's so much description here in Scripture. I mean, there's a lot of it. And it sounds like Niagara Falls, like the sound of an army. It sounds like roaring thunder. It sounds like a lion. And so as we begin to put that together, there's definitely a low-frequency boom that is taking place. Ezekiel 43.2, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Revelation 1.15, and his feet like undefined brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So I think we could create a very clear enunciation scripturally of the voice of God. And so that's why I say when we describe the voice of God, and it's very common for us, in fact, I'm not going to be far removed from myself, to say, well, it's still and it's small. And if one of my kids says, so what does the voice of God sound like when he speaks to you? Very rarely am I going to say like rushing waters or like a booming thunder. And that's why it's interesting. It's like, huh, how do I, how do I deal with this? Revelation 14.2, and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. That's uh, Harper Ludy's favorite scripture right there. <laughs> Amos 1, 2, and then 3, 8. This is good, guys. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So there's this idea in Scripture. It's interesting because we have something known as a megaphone, and we all know what that is, but that comes straight out of the Greek, and it's megas and phone. I, mean, I think I can find it in there, megas phone, and it means a great, violent, mighty, strong voice. And this is actually the voice of God. This is the voice of the Scriptures, this is a voice that I don't know that in our Christian upbringing we hear the same way. We're oftentimes only listening for the small, delicate, gentle voice of encouragement and consolation. I'm not exactly sure that many of us have been tuned into the mega voice. Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a mega voice as of a trumpet. So this is actually the voice of Jesus Christ, who is also known as the Word of God. And he is going to speak behind John, and John is going to be alerted to this 
megaphone. And that's literally the word, megaphone. The voice of the Lord, Psalm, 1, Psalm 29. This is an incredible passage. The mega voice of almighty thunder. So here we are in Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. So I don't know if you're catching on of why there's a fascination in me as I begin to study this. It's like, that is so so intriguing to me. So just on the intellectual side, I'm intrigued. It's like, God, you reveal your voice, you define your voice, and I can't argue that that's your voice. And by the way, when I started speaking loudly uh, in my preaching, it had nothing to do with doing an exhaustive study on this going, I'm going to try and sound like God. I literally was so moved within, when I would speak, volume would increase. And as a, I mean, I taught professional level communications. And what would I teach? Basically, if I could sum it up, don't do what I'm doing now because you're going to intimidate your audience. You're going to scare your audience. You want to warm your audience. You know, there's various techniques to do that, but to get loud is not one of them. And as a result, even when I began to speak more forcibly, it was against all the rules, but it was in obedience and in agreement with a stirring inside of me. And actually, in reading these things, it helps identify what's going on inside of me because that booming voice from behind John lives in me. So it actually causes me to put some puzzle pieces together to understand why there is such a noise within me at times. The doctrine of soft spiritual sounds. So we have grown up in a church, and I'm not even going to complain about the fact that there is a delicate aspect to the kingdom of God. There is a beautiful aspect. There is a meditative aspect, a devotional aspect, a stillness in his presence aspect, a listening ear. And it's not necessarily when you're listening in your quiet time in the morning that you're expecting thunder as the response. Sometimes, and I would be the first one to encourage you, it's listening, being still, and sometimes it's an impression. It's not a boom. And the way that I've likened it, and I think I've told my kids this, and many, some of you actually may have heard this, is you ever seen one of those things? You'll find them in like a gift store, like you're in Estes Park, and you'll be walking around looking for a gift, and you'll find like a box like this, and they'll have these pins in it, and so that you can stick it up against your face, and on the other side, you can actually see the person's face in pin. You know, it's like the pins all take the shape of this. Some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? I don't know how else to describe it. I should have a picture of it on the screen. But it, in other words, if I put my hand in it, and then I showed you it, and I said, what is it saying to you? It's like, it looks like a hand. That's right, but it isn't a hand. It's actually pins moved in a certain way. And that's the same with the voice of God. When I hear God speak to me, it's not an actual voice. I didn't hear something audibly. That's the only way we understand voices, right? But at the same time, I know what he's saying to me. So somehow God is pressing on some dimension of who I am in a way that I can interpret what he is saying to me. 
and it doesn't have a loud boom to it. So it's like, what is this? That's not the way I hear God. I, I hear God in a way that I don't know how to even put articulation to it, but at the same time, I understand it from both sides is what I'm saying. If you want to call it soft and still, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll just read the scripture. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And, be and behold, the Lord passed by and a great, strong, great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so that's where we get it from. And it also doesn't mean that God can't be in a wind. Just look at Acts chapter 2. God was very much in a wind. And it doesn't mean he can't be in an earthquake. Look at the cross, look at the uh, resurrection, and look at Pentecost. All of them had an earthquake. So it's not that God can't be in these things. It's just that in this story he was in a still small voice. And so it's important for us to note that in light of the entirety of Scripture. Isaiah 30, 20 through 21. This is another Scripture that pops into many of our minds. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, that's a great description of Christianity. I mean, I, I can totally relate to that. And when you think of that voice, it doesn't say still and small, but you don't think of it going, hey, <laughs> to the left. That isn't even in your mind when you hear that, okay? And I think you'd, it would be accurate. And for most of us that we're being led, we're being convicted. In other words, we do this and we feel something. What is that? It is like a still small voice. That is a great description of it. It's not an earthquake. It's not like the bottom of the floor has to empty out on you. For, you're hanging for dear life going, I shouldn't have gone this way. <laughs> you actually know the moment you even do it, God presses a no into that pin cushion. And you're like, thank you, Lord. And he, he, he directs your life, but not with booming thunder. The history of loud spiritual noises. Numbers 10, 1 through 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movements of the camps. So God has a nation and he is going to steer that nation and move that, uh, that nation into action in and through trumpet blasts. Very fascinating in my brain to start to ponder that. It's like, huh. It's not that he's going to go up to each one put his hand on their shoulder and say, I need you in Jerusalem right now. Now, this was in the wilderness, but hey, I need you to come to the, uh, the tabernacle right now. We need to gather for war. God is going to do it corporately. He is going to boom corporately. Everyone's hearing the same distinct sound. There were all sorts of distinct sounds, and I unfortunately don't have a record of the sounds. Like the, there, there are... There are hints added in Scripture, but I don't know, for instance, what the exact call was to war. If it was do do do, you know, I don't know. If it was do 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 do, I don't know. Uh, however, they knew. And in, in other words, there was even though it's not in the Bible, there seems to be an understanding of what to do when you hear certain sounds. It was interesting. I was at CYO uh, on Thursday with Kip, and there's a whistle. It's like, and I knew exactly what it meant. It meant, hey, we're coming back to the gathering place. 
we're done with our fishing. Right? How did I know that? Isn't that weird that someone could make a loud noise and I'm like, huh, hark, I know exactly what to do now. And it is, that's actually part of the history. There is a loud noise. Now, a whistle compared to a trumpet is pretty pathetic, right? In the, if you're talking the epic nature of it. But it's the same principle, that God has a very clear intonation, a very clear sound, and the global body is given it so that we would know what to do corporately. So this is continuing this discussion on the two trumpets, the two silver trumpets. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with those trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemy. So this isn't just the calling forth of the people. Now, even when you're going to war, you're going to make a declaration, but it's like God is going to hear it, and he is going to remember something when you do that little noise. Isn't that an odd statement? So it's not even just to gather. It's not even just for the corporate. It's actually a communication from the nation to the God to say, God, we can't win this without you. So I think that's the one that they used. <laughs> so to make a noise has a, is a verb in the Hebrew, teruah. So I have to admit, I don't know if it's the manly, the deep call within me as a man when I hear the verb ruah. There's, words have a funny impact on me, but ruah, I mean, that is like, uh, that's a manly word. That's a manly verb, to, to ruah. I, see, some of you don't fully appreciate what's going on inside of Eric, but ruah, there's something about it that is very manly to do. And it actually means to war cry. It means to loudly shout, to trumpet an alarm, to shake the earth with a sound. Okay, now I'm going to give you a hint of something. Stick an R on the end of that verb. Okay, and you're going to get close to a word that I'm also very fascinated with today. So Numbers 10.10, also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and in the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So it's not just calling people together. They have two horns. If you, if you do one, it, it calls a certain group together. If you do two, it calls a different group together. And, so they, and if you have a cadence with you know, one or two, I don't remember which one it was, then you call an assembly together. Fascinating to my brain intellectually, but then it's for also like blowing over your sacrifices. And so this word for, this is the noun. So ruah is to make the noise, but the noise itself has a name, and that's teruah. So this is the alarm of war, or the war cry, or the battle cry, or the sounding of the, of the advance, a shout of joy. So if you've ever heard of the Feast of Trumpets, that's actually the Feast of Teruah. So it's not actually trumpets, it's the sound the trumpets make, which is a blast or a roar or a great clamor. So it's the Feast of Noise is basically what it means. It's the Feast of Blasts. It's the Feast of Roaring. Joshua 6, 5, and 20. This is one of the most famous stories. I think it's going to pop into our head with a loud voice. There's a lot of noise in this story. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, 
Remember, this is at Jericho. I thought it was going to say that. It didn't give the context to it. So this is at Jericho. The very first steps into the land of Canaan. And the people shall go up every man straight before him. So that was the preparation. Now they're at the time. They've marched around six straight days once. And now they, in the seventh day, they're going to march around seven times. And then comes the big moment. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout. They shouted, is a ruah, with a great turuah. Isn't that cool? They ruined with a great teruah that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. We have a foreshadow, an anticipatory parallel that is taking place in Scripture here. A loud shout. There is a teruah. What is this feast of shouting all about in the first place? Now, I do think it harkens to the very end because that's you know, how God, Christ is going to return and there's going to be a trumpet, there's going to be all sorts of things like that. However, there's also something in between the end and this story and that is known as the cross. Now, when you think of the cross, do you think of a shout? Do you think of walls coming down? I mean, it isn't the normal picture we have and yet, in a strange way, there is a mega voice on the cross. It's 1 Samuel 4, 5. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel <coughs> ruined so loudly that the earth shook. This is pretty cool. So you have the Ark of the Covenant, which is symbolic of the presence of God that is coming into the camp. All Israel is going to ruah, and the earth is going to shake. That's a pretty cool ruah right there. So Joshua and the ruah, and Jesus and the Ruah. So Joshua, there's a loud shout, a devastation of the enemy, the beginning of a new thing in the land. And then Jesus and the Ruah. There's a loud shout, even though you may not remember what this loud shout is, a devastation of the enemy and the beginning of a new thing in the land. So here we are, Mark 15, 37 through 39, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Isn't that just a, uh, he ruas with a terua. Isn't that amazing? It's sort of like, doo-doo-doo. We have a loud cry at the cross. And what happens? And he breathes his last, which doesn't sound like a victorious thing, does it? It's like, whoa, that was sort of a bad ending to this story. No, no. Do you recognize what is taking place? The wall is collapsing. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Remember the story in the Old Testament? You have the Ark of Covenant that is coming into the camp. In this situation, it's very similar. The Holy Spirit is being offered up in and through this sacrifice, in and through this shouting, in and through this work, you actually see the Ark of Covenant being given to us to literally carry it in a mobile way. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The Ruah. Uh, is uh, pretty exciting. The trumpet blast of Jesus, the megasphone. Why a loud voice? Why a booming sound? That's what I've been asking all week. It's like, why a loud voice? Why a booming sound? Because this is part of this ancient culture. This Hebrew culture, this Jewish culture, seemed to accept loud noises as if it was normal. And just like they accept 
blood all over the place. If you've ever studied how much blood was all over the place in the Jewish culture, it's shocking to us. We're far more refined, aren't we? So we don't like our our noises loud, and we don't like uh, our sacrifices to have any blood on them. Well, because we've had one final sacrifice in in, in and through Jesus Christ. So does that mean everything needs to get silent? So that which is built to Ruah, so the katsatera, which is also known as the trumpet, those silver trumpets, uh, they were a straight metallic wind instrument, which is interesting because I've heard people say that, you know, the trumpet is referred to in scripture is actually the shofar. And actually, there, you can't make a shofar of silver. Uh, it was actually a wind instrument, and it was separate from the shofar. The shofar is an actual instrument, which is in the second, the yovel or the shofar, so that the Yovel would be like the trumpet of Jubilee. In other words, what you're going to uh, blow on the, on the day when all is returned and debts are cleared. And so uh, the, the shofar was a ram's or a goat's horn. And then I'm going to also say there was something else that was built on this earth as an instrument to Ruah. And that is the man of God. We could say the woman of God. But Jesus being the picture, the ultimate picture of the man and his design that he was built to, to Ruah on that cross, to declare war, to, to ultimately do what Joshua did in the Old Testament, to see the walls collapse and to see the temple veil. I mean, not only is the Holy Spirit now able to come to us, but we are able to come into the presence of Almighty God. This is the Ruah of Ruahs, capital R, Ruah. So the man of God, the loud shout, dig down deep and let out the Ruah or or I mean the roar. So I think this is uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I didn't say it. It was just called Fitzgerald's Letters, which usually gets associated with F. Scott Fitzgerald. He wrote letters to his daughter. But I thought that was fascinating. I included it. Power, whether spiritual or physical, is the meaning of the trumpet. And so well used by Handel in his approaches to the deity. So he's just referencing this in a letter, from what I understand, to his daughter. And he's basically saying, in literature, in understanding literature, throughout history, the trumpet is a symbol of spiritual or physical power. I I thought that was an interesting thing just to mention. This loud boom, uh, this symbol is actually uh, something that's always meant something to most cultures. To us, it doesn't have any meaning. The need for distinct notes. You could imagine if a trumpet could be used in a culture and you, you don't have a, uh, a system where you, know, you have a tornado coming and you can just send out an alert and it goes to everyone's cell phone. They didn't have that back then, for those of you that are younger and don't know that. <laughs> and so as a result, to communicate in a broad way to a nation, that's a, a unique challenge. How do, you, how do you declare that a threat is coming upon your nation? How do you call the men to war? How do you call a gathering of the congregation? How do you call together an assembly? How do you do that? This is a pretty brilliant way. And if you're going to do it, you better get it right. You don't want to accidentally declare war when all you're doing is trying to call the men up for you know, a congregational meeting. And so as a result, to have a distinct note, to have it said in a way which is understood by your audience is of the utmost importance. I want you to recognize if it's true that God's word is like that trumpet blast, its intention isn't to be blurry. Its intention is to call us unto a very clear action. 
And that's just something I want you to hold on to. Because one of the works that has been done in our generation under the postmodern uh, movement into the church is to blur the lines and to say the Bible means something different to all of us. And so when you hear a trumpet, well, it could mean, you know, go to war for you, but it means, you know, take a nap for me. And so as a result, it's a mixed bag here. And yet I would say the exact opposite is true. When God is leading his people, he created a system to speak loudly, forcibly, strongly, and clearly. 1 Corinthians 14, 8, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? See, I like that. That just happened to work well. Of course, this is the scripture that inspired the thought. The roaring kingdom. God built a prophetic kingdom, a prophetic kingdom pattern based around the mega voice. So this mega voice seems to be this resurrected, exalted Christ seems to be what it is built around. So in the Old Testament, it was a trumpet, it was a shofar, it was a loud shout of the people, which would literally shake the ground. And when God came and spoke to his prophets, it was a massive voice. It was a roar of a lion, it was thunder. When God spoke to Job, boom, it was massive. When God spoke to Ezekiel, boom, it was massive. And so we have been introduced throughout that the ones that are even writing down the scriptures are hearing God's voice, are translating it to us. That means the text itself is spoken with authority and power. It wasn't just a whisper. It was a boom. The uses of the roaring instruments for calling of the congregation to gather, Numbers 10.3, for calling the leaders of the divisions of Israel to gather, Numbers 10.4, for calling for the assembling of Israel to gather, Numbers 10.7. For calling fighting men to assemble, you'll see the scripture references there. For announcing war, for issuing the call to act in battle, for declaring the end of fighting. That could be important too if you think about it. It's like, you know, guys, you can come back now. We're, we're, the battle's won. For striking fear in the heart of the enemy camp. Isn't that a fun one? It's like, uh, you know, do your alarm of war and the enemy's like, uh-oh. For declaring a jubilee, a clearing of debts. For the proclamation of law and the clarification of his command. For declaring the start of something new. And that's, of course, the Feast of Trumpets. That's the start of their civil year. And the first day of the seventh, seventh month is the start of a, a feast called the, uh, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. The very first day is going to be a declaration that something new has begun. And that's the shouting. And it's joyful shouting, by the way, that's, that's sort of lost in this, that this loud noise is not some kind of depressing voice, it's actually a joyful shout for worship, praise, and thanksgiving. It's interesting because many of us understand that, an, that this trumpet can be used for praise, but I put it at the end of the list just to sort of let you know that this trumpet is used for so much, and yet at the very end, it's like, yeah, that's the most common one right there. And it is, it's very common throughout scripture that it's going to be used for worship, praise, and thanksgiving. The frequency of the, of the roar. So I'm talking about like a radio frequency here. There is a frequency, as I talked about from the very beginning, that most of us are challenged to know if we really even want to hear it. Do we want to hear the boom of God? Do we want to hear the, the thunder of God? Because what does it lead to? It leads to a tremble. It leads to an awe. It leads to a fear, but in the right sense, it does. You recognize who he really is. 
He is holy, holy, holy. He is righteous, righteous, righteous. You see, he is blazing in his presence. And the fact that we have access unto his presence is actually mystifying at a certain level because we are not like him. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, we have been offered a clothing. It's Christ's very own righteousness, his very own perfection that we are able to dress in. And as a result, in that clothing, in Christ, we can boldly enter the throne room of grace where the God who sits enthroned on high and under whose feet is all things welcomes us. That is astounding, mystifying, befuddling, bewildering. You choose your word that best describes it in your mind. But when we diminish the grandeur of God, the befuddlement, the bewildering, the mystifying nature of it disappears. But the befuddling is, is is the extension of the fear of God. When you recognize how grand he is and how smallish you are, it should strike an awe inside of you. It's not a fear that you fear hell, for instance, if you are in Christ. It's a trembling before the realities of who he is that apart from him, you would be destroyed. Apart from him, you would be eternally separated. But because he loves you, he has given you a clothing, a refuge in his presence so that you can enter into not just fellowship with him, but be adopted as his very child. Astounding. So this frequency, do we really want to hear it? Are we only listening for soft, comforting sounds, or are we attuned to the clear and distinct sounds of the mega voice? So you'll notice if you were to check out our homes and figure out which scriptures we like to stick up on our walls, it's usually not the mega voice scriptures, it's the comforting scriptures. You know, Psalm 23 is a favorite, right? It's the ones that are more in the encouraging genre. And I'm not against that. I like those too. However, as the church to welcome in the strength of God again, as the church to mutually agree that it's time that we start trembling again, if we really want the God of the early church the one who struck down Ananias and Sapphira, the one who brought in 3,000 in one day and then 5,000 in one day, the one who worked wonders throughout the world, the one whose followers were all martyred. If we really want to see the strength of the church awakened, are we willing to allow our living room, if you were to liken our soul to our living room, to start sticking up the scriptures that really challenge us? that really cut through the fog, because we're, I think it's pretty easy that we could hear a distinct voice right now, and we could hear the doo-doo-doo, and know that we're being called to battle, but some of us are so acquainted with either being a little off in our frequency or justifying that I don't think that means a call to battle for all of us, or I don't actually think it means that now. It used to, that, that, yeah, that triple note sound would, you know, mean this then, but, you know, we're in a different time and a different culture. And then we're thinking, I hope. And so are we only listening for soft, comforting sounds or are we attuned to the clear and distinct sounds of the mega voice? Revelation 1.10 and then 2.7, but 2.7 is only a symbol of, this is said all throughout uh, the very beginning uh, to all the seven churches, it says the same thing. And this is, I heard behind me a loud voice, the megaphone, as of a trumpet, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to say it over and over, at least seven times. Over and over, every church. Hey, are you willing to listen? Do you, are you interested in hearing what the mega voice has to say? The Spirit of God is ready to acquaint you with the realities of what heaven's agenda is right now on this earth. But do you have an ear to hear? And of course, if you flash back to the Old Testament, you're going to see those who have an ear to hear. You remember the bondservant who has an ear to hear? What does that mean? Well, that's like a pierced ear. The bondservant had a pierced ear. He's out of love going to return to his master. And as a symbol of his willingness to hear his master, his ear will be pierced. That's a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward, yes, sir. As we've called it in Ellerslie history, the predecided, yes, Lord. In other words, before he even asks, you already have an ear to hear. Whatever you're going to ask me, Lord, my answer is going to be, yes, Lord. So I want you to recognize that, that if we really want to tune into the frequency of God, we need to give our ear to God. We need to be ready to hear what he actually is wanting to say instead of what we want him to say. Have you ever gone into a prayer time wanting God to tell you one thing and not really being that interested if he wants to say something different? That's not an effective way to live your Christian life out. Some important questions. Do we have ears to hear? So if we don't have ears to hear, we need to start right there. Consecrated ears. Dedicated ears to say, God, I'm not just asking you to speak to me what is going to be comforting and flowery and fun right now. I want to know, what do you desire? And even if it's hard for me to hear, I want to ask that you would give me the grace to be obedient. My life is an extremely happy life. And I, it has flowed out of that exact consecration. And yet, even though I have seasons in my life where I'm very consecrated, and many of us in here understand what I mean by this, I can also sort of deaden in my ear and get a little off in my frequency. And there's this nice elevator music station just down the way a little, you know, and they do nice Christian songs, just the instrumental versions of them. And I can get some of the lyrics out, and it's just like, oh, this is so much more pleasant, right? And we can just get a little off in our frequency to what God is actually saying here and now. So the second question, do we even want ears to hear? If you don't really want an ear to hear what God is saying to the church, that should be another question in your soul. It's like, Lord Jesus, correct that. Are we trembling before the loud voice? Do we even want to tremble? Tuning to the roar frequency. So that, that's what it's called. If it, if it had a station identification, it's like, you're listening to Roar FM. Uh, doesn't that sound like a great station? Roar FM. It, I could just see someone running with that now, and they're going to cheapen it with some bad Christian music. Uh, but tuning to the roar of frequency, heeding the harder, more vigorous voice. See, there's two voices. And I, when, I, when I wrote the book Bravehearted Gospel, I, I divided it up. I said sort of like there's a feminine voice, which is going to be add more beauty. And there is. There's a, there's a feminine dimension to Scripture, if you want to say it that way. And you don't want to just have the, the manly side, which is just straightforward. Uh, it doesn't need any accoutrements. doesn't need to beautify it itself at all. It's just going to cut right to the chase. And you look at the book of Ezekiel and how God is going to speak to Ezekiel, and it's like it's lacking any softness. It's just like, God, I'm expecting you to come up to Ezekiel and say, hi, Ezekiel. It is just so good to see you. Uh, and you know, I just want you to know, are you ready? I'm going to boom in your face here in just a second. I just want you to prepare yourself. He's just going to come out of nowhere and go, boom. 
It's like, God, you need a little more social polish there. And so there's part of us that could be offended and we could trip over the fact that God's not playing social games with us. You see, God is God. And the fact that he is a gentleman and the fact that he is kingly and noble and royal and he does handle himself with excellence in everything he does is true. But he has an agenda and he has a design and he made you for a very specific purpose and you're, you're running roughshod against that purpose. He's going to break through that fog and he's going to speak clearly to you because he loves you. So samples of the roar. That must go. So I don't know how familiar you are, you are with this voice in your life, but you almost, you know, there's part of us that can shrink back and go, God, could you say it a little sweeter than that? But this is, a, this is something I've had in my life for so long. That must go. It's clear. It's distinct. It's not flowered up like, that. could that go, Eric? I mean, it'd be really nice if you didn't have that. And I'm like, so you're saying I don't have to give it up, but you're just thinking that it might be, like my life would be one degree better if I gave it up because I'm fine with being one degree lesser and hold on to it. See, this isn't how we negotiate with God. That must go. You must speak. You ever had it where you know that God wants to use your life to speak to the world around you? And yet you, you, if you treat it more as an option, as opposed to the reason you were created was to trumpet, was to ruah. Could you imagine being a silver trumpet and saying, you know, I don't feel like it? You were built to when he puts his lips up against that trumpet to make a noise. And as a result, he's going to say, make the noise. You must leave this right now. You must say no. Get rid of that attitude. Change your thinking right now. Uh, it's a sweeter way of saying repent. The church is hypersensitive to the word repent right now. You guys are more used to it than most crowds. But still, Jesus is going to come onto the scene with and ruah. He's just going to ruah. Repent! Uh, whoa, are you supposed to say it that clearly? Remember how he spoke to the Pharisees? It's way too clear uncomfortably clear. You're not supposed to speak to the religious leaders of the day that way. They're going to get upset with you. In fact, they could end up crucifying you. Allowing the mega voice to break through our soul fog. If you're in a fog bank, what you might need to do is tune your ears to what God is saying. He's probably a lot more clear than you really want him to be, and that's part of your problem, is you don't want clarity right now. And so you're choosing fog instead of clarity. And I'm just saying, let's all just freshly tune our ears to hear what God is saying to the church. Psalm 29.9. So I went through Psalm 29 earlier, uh, but I wanted to just bring out this one uh, passage in it, which I really enjoyed. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Uh, my mental picture for that is this deer is like wandering around. is like, oh boy, it's, it's, it seems like it's that time. And then God booms and... <laughs> Well, that's done. Uh, and the, the second part, and strips the forest bare. I just picture God booming and then literally either trees falling or, you know, all the leaves going, <laughs> you know, it's just completely bare. You can see things now. Nothing's obscured. So that which needs to be accomplished in your life, 
well, let him speak because he's going to start moving things forward. Yeah, you know, there's some labor that you need to enter into. Hear the voice of the Lord. Let him bring about his effects. Let him remove all uh, the, the forest noise so that you can actually see. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. So this is fascinating because we've studied the, the voice of God, but how about the voice of the church? It is strangely similar to the voice of the lion. Listen to this. Revelation 19.6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So when we get our game on, what do we sound like? Huh. We sound a little like God sounds. You see, God intends to take this trumpet, this shofar, this strength, this roar, and move it inside of us so that when we together function, we sound like mighty rushing waters. Tuning your life to play the roar frequency. So I was going through this same exact process, and there the kids and I, Leslie, the kids and I were just driving through Texas and my old, the missionary school I, I used to go to down there was nearby. So we, we, we went by it. And I remember as we were driving out, I was like, and that was the field. Uh, and I told the story, but I was in a, like a worship time there. And I think that even the first two could be the same, same night. And so I'll give the second one actually first. So I'm in this worship time and I, I'm not very expressive. Uh, I am when the Broncos are playing, but when it comes to Christianity, I'm not a dancer. I'm not a, you know, hands raiser sort of guy, right? And so I'm in this worship time, and I am being so stirred by the presence of God. I mean, just moved. And this one person comes, I don't even know who it was because I never opened my eyes, and they came up behind my shoulder here, and they spoke into this ear, and they said, I just feel like God wants you to know that he wants you to raise your hands. That was awkward. It's like, oh boy, how, how do you do that? What does that look like? I mean, I said all these other people are all free doing it, and I'm so concerned that people are going to be watching me. I don't, know who, I don't know how many of you are just sitting there watching everyone around you as you're <laughs> worshiping. Uh, and, and yet it's, it's this weird thing that we go through, but it was a key moment. It's like part of the roar. It's like to actually just agree with what God is doing. And I, my, it's not very impressive. This was my first hand raise. Actually, it was like this, uh, technically. A huge moment for Eric. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm really doing it. I mean, I was so conscientious of myself, too. I'm sure that everyone around me was going, uh -huh, that guy whispered in his ear for him to raise his hand. Now he's raising his hand. So I'm even thinking about that, but I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to look the fool. So a big moment for Eric, right? And then uh, the field in Lindale. I remember I was so stirred, but you know, I'm not the expressive type when it comes to God. And I, I'd, never, I'd never let out a rua in my life, or a turua technically would be the term, right? I'd never ruined to make a turua in my life. And so I, I, it was pitch black outside, and I, my brother and I went out into this field and it was behind all the buildings, and we thought it was in the middle of nowhere, okay? Because, I mean, I didn't see anyone out there. Went out into this field, and we shouted at the top of our lungs, 
our love for Jesus. It was a key moment in my life to actually do it. Now, if you'd asked me to do that in the building with all the people, I'm not exactly sure how I would have felt about that. But I did it. And so when we were driving with the kids, I was saying, that's the field. And I thought it was in the middle of nowhere. I'm driving down, and there's all these houses on the other side of the street. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Even all these years later, I was horrified. <laughs> my history with shofars, uh, we had a shofar in our wedding because I thought that would be pretty cool. You know, the declaration of the, the, the bridegroom coming, you know, all this, the symbol, symbolism of a wedding. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that uh, it was a good or a bad idea. If you guys want to have a shofar in your wedding, I, you know, highly encourage it. They're not the most attractive thing to the American ear. I'm just going to forewarn you for that. I don't think I'd ever heard one. And then suddenly it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, so the romance of the moment was like a uh, little shaken in that moment. Well, someone had heard that we had had a shofar in our wedding, you know, without asking us our opinion of how it sounded, right? <laughs> and so, and I don't know if Leslie remembers this, but we were at, uh, at this wedding and it was, you know, it was uh, trying to come together. They had a few things that weren't quite working and uh, their shofar player walked up at a certain time to the front. Not a lot of experience in the shofar. It's not just something you put air into and out comes nice sounds. So this person was in front of us. This is sort of what it sounded like. And the, the daughter of the guy that was doing it was sitting next to me. And all I heard was, my dad. <laughs> Great moments. Okay, so I just want you to know, even when you give your first ruas, that could be what it sounds like. Here's what I want you to know. Even the imperfect attempts at utilizing this instrument that we are to agree with God, to make the noise that is necessary in this earth, I think are precious to God. It's funny because all of us even look at that. That was a great wedding. It was precious. It's embarrassing for anyone that participated in the <laughs> sound. But guess what? For the rest of us, it was still precious. And I know that's how the kingdom of heaven works. You know, that, doesn't that sound like our very first attempts at sharing the gospel with someone? If you've ever done that, it's like the last thing, the reason we don't even want to do it is because we don't want to sound like that. And yet God says, come on. To me, it's a precious sound. It'll get better with time. We'll get a distinct sound out of that. However, it's very, very significant. Busting loose from the paralysis of passivity and the fear of man and beginning to ruah, and I put an R on the end, beginning to roar. This is what we are being called to do. The key for us is to agree with the fact that God makes noise. To agree with the fact that this isn't just a personal religion that we're carrying around. We're an instrument designed and crafted by God Almighty, like silver trumpets. And to give a distinct sound to this world of what God is saying. It's time to gather for war. It's time to head to war. God has given this into our hands. God is establishing a new thing. Let's praise and worship our God who has given us the final sacrifice. You see, we have been entrusted with an ability to do something that the animals cannot do. They cannot do what we are commissioned to do, and that is give a distinct sound to communicate unto the world, unto God's host, what he desires to do right now in their life as individuals and in our lives corporately. We cannot hold back in being leveraged and used. 
But to be used, we need to first hear the clear sound. We need to allow God to work in us, to tune us to that roar frequency in our life, that the clear, sharp, distinct notes of truth would be received and responded to in our lives. And I'm just going to finish with this, uh, Jeremiah 4, and then chapter 6, and then chapter 20. It's like a sub-theme in the book of Jeremiah. Something is going to be taking place inside of this guy that is going to force out a sound. If you don't have something taking place inside of you that is forcing out a sound, then that's where I want you to start. Lord, I, I think I need something more here. I spent years as a teacher and as a speaker. Leslie and I traveled around and we spoke. And if you hear an old recording of Eric from back in the late 90s, you chuckle out loud because my voice is so wimpy that you cannot even guess that it's the same guy. And I, I, mean, I get mad at myself. Come on, Ludi. Come on, be a man. That's, that's what I'm thinking the whole time as I'm listening to myself talk. But I was likable. I was funny and I was appealing, and I could garner a big audience doing that. And then God meets me. He changes me is the best way to describe it. A lava pool opens up inside of me to the point where I read Jeremiah and I understand it. But when I'm reading this when I'm young, it makes no sense. I do understand this. This is something that every one of us needs in our own way. Not all of us are called to do the same things. Not all of us are called to be uh, speakers in a generation, but all of us are called to be instruments in a generation. Oh, my soul, oh, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. His word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Paul is going to say that he was compelled to preach the gospel. This is something we need. We need to hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. We need to then be carriers of that. What is going to happen in and through an Old Testament prophet? They are going to hear something, the boom the sound of the trumpet, and then they cannot hold it in. And Jeremiah is going to suffer greatly because he can't hold it in. If he could just hold it in, his life could be so much more pleasant. But he can't hold it in. He wasn't designed to hold it in. You were designed to make a noise. In a generation that is telling you to shut up. And if you knew what was best for you, oh, church of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't make any noise from here on out. And they will start making examples of those that make noise in our generation, if you haven't started to see those examples already. The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to be defined by the fear of man or the fear of God? Are you going to tremble at man's words or are you going to tremble at God's words? Are you going to be an instrument to puppet and to mimic what the world is saying? Are you going to speak what God is saying in this hour, in this time? We all know what we ought to do. But the question is, are we going to make ourselves available for him to do it in and through us? Father, here we are. 
we present ourselves as living sacrifices before you, holy and pleasing unto you. Lord, we desire to think different, to heed your word, the clarity of it, to not excuse ourselves from it. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would cut through the fog today and that you would start with us. Lord, we desire the global church to be awakened and stirred. But Lord, how can we request that if we are not willing to be awakened and stirred ourselves? So start with us, Lord Jesus. Bring a revival here. Shake this room with your mighty wind and may an earthquake start beneath our feet. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to both hear the roar and to make the roar. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. To take this specific message deeper through our daily Thunder discussions, visit ellerslie.com, where you can also explore our sermon library or learn more about joining us in person at the Church at Ellerslie here in Windsor, Colorado. Thanks for listening.